Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we wanna say thanks for questions coming from the audience at Smith Weekly, including Cindy W, Todd A, at T-Bird V, and Matt S. On the program today is a returning guest, Mr. Jordan Trimble has joined us. Jordan is the president and CEO of Sky Harbor Resources, a uranium exploration and prospect generator company that is focused on Canada's Athabasca Basin Uranium District. Sky Harbor Resources is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol SYH, as well as on the US OTC markets under the symbol S-Y-H-B-F. Jordan, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Uh, it's good to be back. It's been a little while, and uh, we, we certainly have a lot to catch up on. We do, Jordan. And I think the best thing to do here to kick everything off for the audience is, why don't you take it away here and just cover off a general update on the company, just looking back for 2023, and then talk about company-specific plans going into, say, the first half of 2024. And let's just keep it specific to the company, just to leave our audience of any broad industry information, which, of course, we may touch on here. But let's keep it specific to the company. Sure. Happy to do that. So just as a, a recap of the company for the audience uh, out there that isn't familiar with Sky Harbor Resources, we're a high-grade uranium exploration and early-stage development company uh, with uh, one of the largest land positions in the Athabasca Basin, the highest-grade uh, highest depository of uranium in the world in northern Saskatchewan, consistently ranked in the top three, top four mining districts globally by the Fraser Institute. I'm sure most people are familiar with the basin, but I think it's important to emphasize the uh, uh, how good a, a mining district uh, and, and jurisdiction it, it is, certainly uh, relative to other parts of the world. So we've been around for 10 years. We've built the company up from scratch uh, a decade ago. Uh, we've acquired uh, 24 properties, um, which is a, a very significant and dominant uh, land position uh, covering over 1.2 million acres. That puts us as uh, the third largest mineral tenure holder in northern Saskatchewan in the Athabasca Basin. Uh, the projects range from earlier stage, more grassroots exploration properties, right through to more advanced stage exploration assets that either host small deposits, uranium deposits, and or high-grade multi-percent uranium or U308 in historic or previous drilling that we've carried out. So the two main assets that we're focused on and really the, the main source of news flow for Sky Harbor over the last, call it, few years and going into 2024 are our co-flagship Russell and Moore Lake project. So both of these assets are advanced stage exploration properties. Russell uh, is a project that we've been very active with over the last 12 months. We acquired this project, as you probably recall, from Rio Tinto. We have an option agreement to earn up to 100% of the project. We're nearing completion of the initial 51% earn-in, which will be done with this upcoming drill program and the money that, we, that we'll be spending there this winter. Uh, the first program, a drill program that we carried out, uh, which commenced earlier this year, uh, and carried right through into the summer months. Uh, we just announced results uh, a few weeks back uh, on this program. It was a multi-phase 9,600 meter inaugural drill program. We tested several targets, including a primary target called the Grayling Zone. It's a group of conductors in the central part of the project. Uh, right beside, uh, the, there's a road, uh, the road that actually services the MacArthur River Mine, power lines and a camp. And it's uh, this, this uh, group of targets in this target area is right off the road, right near our camp. So very inexpensive and easy to drill. We announced some of the better drill results um, from that target area in this program. Uh, one of the holes intersected six meters of 0.15% and one meter of just under 0.4%. So we're still looking for a major high-grade multi-percent discovery. I think we'll be able to deliver on that in upcoming drill programs, but nonetheless, we are 
finding and discovering zones of uranium mineralization. We know that conductive corridor is uraniferous. It's, it's, it's host to all the right uh, indicators uh, and, and all the right geological features that you, you need to see to have high grade, uh, meaningful deposition of uranium. Uh, so that's the grayling target. We are going to continue drill testing that in the new year. We're going to commence, we're planning to commence uh, a follow-up 5,000 meter program uh, in January. We're going right back in there. We, we, we have uh, a number of uh, key targets that we're going to go and drill test early in that program. We also did a little bit of drilling at another target area called the Fox Lake Trail target. And this group of conductors on the northern end of the project are the continuation of conductors from Denison's Wheeler River project. Uh, if you look on a map, the Russell Lake project uh, encircles Denison's flagship Wheeler River project host to the Phoenix and Griffin deposits. It encircles the Wheeler River project to the north, to the east, and to the south. And uh, as you're well aware, uh, Denison uh, has been one of our largest corporate strategic shareholders for some time now. Um, they own uh, over 11 million shares of Sky Harbor. Their president and CEO, Dave Cates, is on our board. So a very important strategic partner of ours. And uh, the, these targets that we're drill testing at the Russell Lake project are just a few kilometers from the development project at uh, Wheeler River, uh, which again is host to the Phoenix deposit. Uh, so very exciting, uh, new co-flagship project. Uh, very pleased with the uh, inaugural drill program that we carried out. We got a good lay of the land. We were able to drill uh, at relatively low cost because again, you've got this road, you've got power, you've got an exploration camp that we've inherited from Rio Tinto as a part of that transaction. That's a big asset for us. Uh, it brings our drill costs down, not just at Russell Lake, but it'll also bring our drill costs down at the adjacent more lake project or other co-flagship asset which i'll talk a little bit about uh, so it's uh it, it's a very strategic asset in our portfolio it represents um, most of the acreage between the macarthur river mine project largest richest producing uranium mine in the world just to the north the key lake mill one of only two operating mills in the region just to the south again the road that connects the mine with the mill runs right up through our, our claims, our Western claims at Russell Lake. Uh, and collectively, uh, Russell and Moore, they're adjacent to each other, uh, represent uh, uh, over 107,000 hectares of real, prime real estate in the southeastern quadrant of the Athabasca Basin. So on that main high-grade mine trend that runs up uh, southwest to northeast, through the eastern part of the Athabasca. Now at our Moore Lake project, uh, we were less active uh, this year at Moore Lake as, we, as most of the budget for 2023 uh, drilling budget was allocated to Russell Lake. However, in 2024, we are planning a drill program likely between 2,500 meters to 3,000 meters. That'll kick off after we complete the winter program at Russell Lake. It's easy for us to simply skid the rig over from the Russell Lake project to various targets at Moore Lake, including the main target area, which is the Maverick, the, the Maverick corridor. It's a five kilometer long, high grade conductive corridor host to the main Maverick and Maverick East zones, which host uh, high grade uranium mineralization. Uh, one of the, the better results at this project was a, a drill hole we drilled back in 2017 that intersected 21% U308 over a meter and a half. That was within 6% over six meters. And we also uh, made a new discovery when we initially started drilling this project in 2017, having optioned it in 2016, we made a new discovery early on in our drilling at what's called the Maverick East Zone. And uh, the, the, the drill discovery there, the drill hole uh, included a zone of about a meter and a half of 9% U308. Now, what we've done more recently um, at the Moore Lake Project in 2021 and a little bit in 2022 was we uh, went and drilled a little bit deeper underneath uh, the unconformity into the underlying basement rock. So most of the historical drilling and the drilling that we've carried out at the Maverick corridor, in particular at those two main high-grade lenses, has very much just been focused on sandstone or unconformity hosted targets. It's relatively shallow. 
the unconformity lies at about 260 to 280 meters, which is important, uh, but not a lot of historical drilling was carried out to test the underlying basement rocks below the unconformity. So we started doing that just a few years ago and uh, announced just a couple of years ago, the best highest grade basement hosted zone of uranium mineralization, which uh, included a two meter uh, intercept of 6.8% U308. That was at the Maverick East zone. So in 2024, with this uh, winter program that we're planning at Moore Lake after we complete the drilling at Russell Lake. So it'll likely take place in March and April. We're planning to go right back into several of those high grade zones along that Maverick quarter. We're gonna do some more infill and definition drilling. And then we're gonna test a number of other regional targets at the Moore Lake project, including the grid 19 uh, target, which was a new regional target we discovered several years ago. And we're going to continue drill testing along that five kilometer corridor, conductive corridor, as um, only about three of the five kilometers have been systematically drill tested. And as I mentioned, very little drilling deeper into the underlying basement rock. So uh, between Russell and Moore Lake uh, in call it the first half of the year, uh, we can expect seven to 8,000 meters of drilling combined between the two projects. We're also working on a mineral resource estimate at Moore Lake. Uh, so keep an eye out for that in the new year as well. Uh, and one last note at Moore Lake um, is the potential for one of two mining methods being proposed uh, in the Athabasca Basin, ISR uh, being one, which is what Denison's proposing to use to mine the Phoenix deposit. Uh, just a few kilometers from a Russell Lake project. And then the other mining method uh, is Sabre, which is a part of a, a joint venture between Arano and Denison Mines, two strategic partners uh, of Sky Harbors, whereby they are uh, mining high-grade uranium uh, from surface using uh, borehole technology and, and uh, drilling technique, uh, where they basically jet bore the high-grade uranium uh, into a high-grade uranium water mixture and pump that up to surface and ship it to the mill. What's interesting about these two surface mining methods is uh, given what we have at Moore Lake, uh, and again, we're working on a resource estimate there, we're, we're looking uh, much more closely uh, at the potential for one of these two mining methods to be used to potentially extract uh, the, the high-grade ore at the Maverick, uh, various Maverick lenses. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, we, we don't have any official uh, studies on this yet. Uh, it's all been internal work, but it's something we are looking more closely at here uh, as we enter into 2024. So uh, exciting year ahead of us uh, with the two main projects at Russell and Moore Lake. Again, both of which uh, are large uh, advanced stage exploration properties relatively low cost drilling, sub $300 all in Canadian a meter, which is significantly lower than most other uh, uranium exploration companies, given that we have access to infrastructure and a camp uh, and uh, fully funded for that. Uh, and uh, it should generate plenty of news flow over the coming months uh, as we work our way through the uh, first few quarters of 2024. So that's the, the, the two main projects in the company. But as I mentioned, we do have 24 properties. The other 22 projects uh, we consider to be a part of our prospect generator business. Uh, and this is a unique hybrid model that we've really run with here in the, 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 the recent years. Um, so we're obviously focused on making new high grade discoveries and expanding resources uh, at our main projects that we're actively advancing at Russell and more. Um, but we also have, uh, and we've been uh, very aggressive in building this part of the business up over the last handful of years is this prospect generator uh, sub business that uh, allows us to find, bring in partner companies to advance our secondary and tertiary projects. And uh, if you look at the last five to six years for the company, we've announced eight different option uh, partnerships option agreements, two of which have uh, uh, gone through to completion. They're now formal joint ventures, one with uh, Arano, France's largest uranium mining and nuclear fuel company. Uh, they are a 51% uh, 
uh, owner in the Preston project. We retain a minority interest there. And then the other JV partner is Azincourt. Uh, and Azincourt has completed their earn-in. Uh, they're the majority interest holder at the East Preston project. We retain a, mi a minority interest in that project. And then the other uh, six partners are optioning into various other projects that we have in our portfolio. And these companies are still all actively earning in. So they have to spend, um, they have to fund all of the exploration expenditures over a certain period of time. It's usually between three to five years. And each year they're required to make cash and share payments to Sky Harbor uh, to complete this, this earn-in. At the end of the day, we typically will wind up with a minority interest in the project. Uh, the partner company, the JV partner company would, would be the operator at that point. Um, and, and typically they are the operator through the earn-in as well. But we retain a minority interest. We keep try to keep an equity, large equity position in the company. And on some of those projects, we'll even create an, an NSR as well. So we do keep some of that upside exposure. If one of these companies has the success that they're hoping to have, they make a new meaningful, large discovery. We benefit, our shareholders benefit with the minority interest in the project, equity position in the company, uh, and potentially an NSR on the property as well. So if you look at the various partner companies, the two JVs, the six option partners, we're expecting five, maybe even six of them will be either drilling or carrying out exploration and field programs in the new year. Uh, so happy to go through that in more detail, but collectively these eight partner companies and eight option agreements total to over 85 million in combined project funding or exploration expenditures coming in from the partner companies, cash and share payments as well, coming into Sky Harbor, assuming that these companies all complete their earnings. It is they are option agreements, so it is at their election whether they do uh, complete the full earnings. But uh, that is the potential if um, if they do. And uh, needless to say, it's around just below our current market cap, so a significant amount of capital and project funding that could come in. But even if we receive a fraction of that, uh, it's still a meaningful amount and uh, likely very accretive uh, given the model where. We're focused on our main projects. There is the potential for new high-grade discoveries uh, and value creation at Russell and more that we're actively funding, uh, coupled with these relatively inexpensive call options, if you will, uh, whereby you know we've packaged these projects up, we've done a deal to bring in a partner company, and they're now paying us cash in stock, funding the exploration. Uh, at these assets. So really what we're trying to do at Sky Harbor, just to summarize all of what I've just gone through is provide a one-stop shop for high-grade Athabasca Basin uranium exploration and new discovery uh, across a number of projects, not just one or two, but a handful of projects uh, without having to go and raise uh, a lot of money and dilute significantly we have partner companies funding for uh, uh, the lion's share of the combined total exploration expenditures across these various projects. So it's a unique model, the Sky Harbor, and uh, it's certainly a model that given the, the size of the property package that we have, uh, it really does help us maintain all of these properties. You have to spend money each year in the ground uh, and, 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 and apply assessment credits to keep the claims in good standing. So it also uh, helps to um, maintain this large property uh, package and portfolio that we built up. So for investors looking to get exposure to a number of projects, a number of programs and various operators, uh, multiple irons in the fire, as we like to say, um, you know, we're one of a few companies that offers that. Sure, I appreciate you going through all that. Uh, one thing that just came to mind just at the end there, two things. First, what do you have for basically the average of the life of these partnership agreements, JVs, in terms of the value that you stated? What's the average life left on these contracts? I know that's a rough number, but give the audience a bit of a flavor on how that's spread out. Yeah, so um, it, it, we have a good slide uh, in our presentation, slide 24, that, that breaks down each of these, right? And uh, as I mentioned, of those eight partners, two of them have completed their earnings, Arano and Azincourt. Um, in the case of Arano, uh, they spent 
just under 5 million in exploration and a small cash payment to complete that 51% earning. As in court, uh, spent uh, 2.5 million in exploration and uh, a, a, a cash payment uh, and a share issuance, which again has been completed. Most of the 80 plus million uh, in combined exploration cash and share payments has yet to come in. Uh, we've had a little bit come in from uh, Valor Resources, Basin, um, Madero, uh, Tisdale, North Shore, uh, but um, a, a number of these uh, earn-in options, including the biggest one, which is the Tisdale uh, Clean Energy Option Agreement at our South Falcon East project. Um, that's a, a, a $22 million uh, option agreement and transaction that we inked earlier this year. It's a five-year earn-in. Um, most of these, uh, the, the, the exploration funding from the partners and the cash and share payments have, have yet to come in. And again, you know, I, 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 I want to uh, caution everyone that, you know, these are option agreements. So, um, you know, the, they'll likely come to fruition provided we have a good market. The better the uranium market is, uh, the, the more likely we see these, these option agreements fulfilled. Most of us would be in agreement that we're, you know, still very much in the early innings of, I think, what what could be a, you know, a long sustained bull market. But um, yeah, we we still have quite a bit of uh, the value in this prospect generator business. We still have a lot of that value to come uh, to to be crystallized. And I think that that, um, you know, comment on the market is 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 important to note that you know we probably aren't getting. Um, you know, full value for this uh, part of the business in the market, but that can change as you know these 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 uh, partner companies complete their earnings over the coming years and generate lots of news flow and catalysts. I mean, that's the other big benefit of the the, the prospect generator business is just the the, uh, the the sheer amount of news flow generation uh, from these various programs. I mean, if you look at Next year, for example, um, the, a number of the partner companies are still finalizing budgets and, uh, and various other, um, you know, details in, in, in the programs, planned programs. But we are expecting uh, a 2,000-meter drill program uh, from Tisdale at our South Falcon East project. Uh, we are expecting um, a, a, a probably similar size program by North Shore Uranium at our South Falcon project. Um, we have Madero at our Yurchison project and Basin Uranium uh, at the Man Lake project that have to spend money next year, whether that be in drilling or in exploration and field programs. And we're also expecting um, Orano for the first time in several years to carry out a program at the Preston project. We'll participate as a JV partner there. And we are also expecting a program from Azincourt at East Preston They've done a fantastic job advancing that project. Uh, they're, I think, on the on the cusp of the new discovery there. So um, a handful of these partner companies are uh, are expected to be working in the new year. Uh, and uh, again, that'll that'll benefit us and our shareholders with with plenty of news flow and the potential uh, to have some exposure to a new discovery at one or maybe several of these projects. Jordan, with that, just staying on the model here for a moment. Um... And I think you alluded to it a little bit here, but what do you think is maybe a reason or two, maybe a con, you know, or a negative, I suppose, um, on this model in terms of it's not getting much respect these early innings of this cycle, which I do agree with you on, but we do think that it would probably have respect as these programs get completed and as investors are attracted to this market, specifically as the food chain comes down into the explore codes of the world. What do you think is right now? the reason for the market not fully appreciating that prospect generator business model? I, I think it's it's challenging for the market, and this is not unusual, right? If you look at prospect generator businesses, um, th this is pretty typical where, you know, they're not typically getting full value uh, or, you know, a perceived full value um, for the the business that they that they built and the various partnerships that they forged, again, as the partnerships mature, advance, as money is spent in the field, um, as more cash and shares come in, it, you know, it, it, I, I think that changes, right? But I, I don't think, uh, at least we're not seeing it. I don't believe um, that the market kind of paying up for the future prospect of that happening. So as 
as it as it comes to fruition, right? I think you'll see that change. But you know, most importantly uh, for us, um, and I, I think most shareholders understand this, is the 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 potential to have exposure to a new discovery, a new large high grade discovery at one of these projects, that's the real appealing part of the model. So it's difficult for, I think, the market to you know, value that or price that in currently. But when it happens, if and when it happens, um, you will see a rapid move higher in the valuation and at, at little to no cost to us, right? I mean, that's the, that's the key thing here is, you know, it's the partner company that has to fund the exploration. They're they're paying the cash and shares. Their share price would increase in value um, quite a bit. We would obviously benefit as a shareholder from that. So I, I think it's it's one of these models that pays dividends over time, but is uh, not it's not easy for the market to fairly value it upfront. And there's not a lot of that going on in the market. I mean, there is a couple other companies, I suppose, that are doing a little bit of this as well. I think you're right. You know, when you have a notable discovery that is meaningful to the market, that there should be some uh, some pretty good attraction here on valuation. So I appreciate you talking about that. Uh, before we you know talk a little bit more about the core projects and get a little bit more detail there, Jordan, let's talk just a little bit on capital structure. Cover off for us where we are on shares outstanding at this point, the cash on hand, and then also just major shareholders, including yourself. And then, of course, you know, if you see the need to finance over, say, you know, between now and end of Q1 2024. So we uh, have 170.4 million shares issued and outstanding. It's trading around a 90 to 95 million dollar Canadian market cap. Uh, we're well funded right now. We've got just under. 4 million in the treasury. However, um, we are, as I mentioned previously with the prospect generator business, expecting um, several million dollars in cash and stock to be coming in uh, over the coming months. And over the next two years, we could receive upwards of uh, 10 million uh, in cash and stock. And you know, this has allowed us to, to keep the equity dilution in check. In fact, we haven't raised a hard dollar in a private placement or a financing since August of 2020. I, I, I suspect it would be very difficult to find many other junior companies that, that can that can say that. We have from time to time raised uh, flow through to fund uh, the exploration almost exclusively at our two main projects, Russell and Moore. And a note on that, um, there's um, a lot of interest in flow through in these companies, not just Sky Harbor, but but in, in, in other uh, Athabasca Basin uh, and Canadian uranium companies, new money's coming into the sector. And the great thing with the uh, flow through, the charity flow through now with the critical metal tax credit is you're seeing a lot of these deals priced, the financing's priced at 40, 50 plus percent premiums to market. So there's less dilution there. The money has to be spent in the field um, so it can't go towards gna and we've seen you know a number of peers that have taken advantage of that so it's important to note that uh, as you know as you're advancing these projects these companies do have access to this uh, financing mechanism uh, that is uh, very attractive given you can you know you can raise money at a significant uh, premium to the uh, to the the current share price. So, uh, so yeah, we're we're funded though, uh, as I mentioned, uh, for the upcoming programs at Russell and Moore Lake. The partner companies at the other projects have to fund uh, the exploration and drilling at those properties. Uh, so uh, it's incumbent on them to raise the money to do that. Um, and uh, like I said, we are expecting some cash flow to come in from. Uh, various partner companies uh, I over the next several months, which you know we'll put towards um, uh, probably additional staking, help pay for the GNA, help also pay for some of the exploration that we're planning to carry out at Russell and more. Uh, and and just a, a quick note uh, as well on some of the larger and strategic shareholders, um, management and insiders we own. About 5%, and you can see over the last couple of years, we've been actively purchasing shares in the open market. I've, I've bought quite a bit uh, of stock in the open market uh, over the last couple of years. I still see there being an incredible value proposition 
specifically with Sky Harbor as we enter into um, the, the kind of later stages of this bull market. I think it's, it's, it's important to emphasize that um, typically junior companies, junior mining companies outperform in the, in the, in the later innings, in the later parts of bull market. So we've seen a, uh, a, a pretty significant underperformance of especially the micro cap and small cap companies. We're, we're one of the larger junior companies. So we've just kind of started to catch up, if you will, with developers and, and producers. Uh, but you can still see this lag with the micro and small cap junior companies. And that's telling. That just shows you we're still, I, I believe, very much in the early parts of this uh, of this bull market. Uh, but uh, so management and insiders, we've got uh, a lot of skin in the game. We're, you know, we're believing in what we're doing. Uh, and uh, you can see uh, with our uh, insider reports, uh, I'm the largest shareholder uh, in that group. Uh, right behind me is Dave Cates. Um, and uh, Dave's added to his position here over the last several years as well. Uh, and then in addition to management and insiders, we've seen a, a, a growing institutional uh, corporate and family office um, shareholder base. So I'd say roughly 55 to 60% of the shares outstanding um, would include management insiders, institutions, family offices, and corporates. The two largest corporate shareholders I mentioned earlier, Denison is our largest strategic shareholder and has been since uh, 2016. Fall, uh, just recently, we brought in Rio Tinto uh, as a large strategic shareholder as a part of the Russell Lake option agreement. That Now, their shareholding and position uh, could potentially grow as we earn in more at Russell Lake. And then uh, there's a number of notable institutional investors, most of the uranium-centric funds that uh, most that follow the space are familiar with our shareholders of Sky Harbor. We are in all of the major uranium mining ETFs, including both of the Sprott ETFs, as well as the URA. Um, and we have a number of family offices uh, kind of scattered throughout uh, the world that have built positions, not just in financings, but also in the open market. And again, I'll emphasize this point that there's new, we're seeing new money come into this space, which is I think one of the more encouraging developments from the equity standpoint uh, to, to, to not have just recycled money in the mining space or in the resource space, but to have new capital flowing in from institutional investors, family offices and retail people that have never bought, you know, mining stocks have never owned any uh, uranium companies or had any real exposure to nuclear. This new money is, is starting to flow in. And I think we're going to, I really think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to see much more of that in the coming uh, months and into 2024. Agreed. Absolutely. People turning their eyes down the food chain, as we've prior discussed about looking at the Explore Co space and, and how that's going to be important as the cycle progresses. Jordan, I want to come back to some other broader Athabasca Basin stuff and get your thoughts on a few other things and then also talk about projects that are available uh, in the portfolio that you guys have for partners. But before we get into that area, just talk more about these co-flagship or core projects. Now you have both Moore Lake and then also this uh, Russell Lake Rio Tinto. Talk about that because you have some recent news on Russell Lake and then just talk in more detail about plans at Russell, what the priority is really there, and then where Moore Lake falls in as far as what work you plan to do, say, in 2024. Yeah, so um, just to, to recap, um, so Russell Lake, uh, again, a newly optioned project from Rio Tinto. It was um, hotly contested. I know there were a number of other companies looking to uh, do a deal, and, and we were fortunate enough to um, to, to uh, get that option agreement uh, signed with Rio. Um, we then, uh, and that was in, in uh, the, the summer of last year, uh, we then spent uh, a few months working with Condor Consulting uh, to uh, refine drill targets. Uh, we got the permit. We got an exploration agreement signed with the English River First Nation, which was a major uh, development for us and milestone. Uh, and, and then we, we were able to commence the inaugural program earlier this year. And 
uh, basically drilled in uh, several phases right through, as I mentioned, into uh, into the summer um, with news out uh, more recently on the final results. And uh, as I said, you know, as I said earlier, very pleased with what we found. Um, you know, we're finding widespread uranium mineralization across uh, various target areas. The grayling target, as I highlighted earlier, the primary target that we drill tested, uh, an area that we drill tested, we expanded the strike length of uh, mineralization. Uh, it's it's fairly widely spaced uh, drill fences at this target. So you're, you're, you know, we find discontinuous zones of, of, of mineralization, but you'd have to go and drill to, to prove continuity. Um, but we're finding mineral widespread mineralization across what is now well over a kilometer of strike length. And, it, and again, it, it really hasn't been systematically drill tested uh, to go in and vector in on what could be, you know, a new high grade discovery and deposit. That's that's one of the key things we're going to be focused on uh, in in uh, the, the the upcoming drill program, as well as testing some other targets um, in and around that target area. And a lot of these conductors, a lot of these corridors are just a continuation of uh, fertile uraniferous corridors on, de on, a, on de Denison's adjacent Wheeler River project. So there's a lot of overlap there. And again, Denison being a large strategic shareholder of ours, um, it uh, I think bodes well for our, our planning and the potential to go in there and, and uh, make a, a meaningful new high grade discovery. So we'll, we'll start this 5,000 meter winter program as I mentioned in January, we're, we're ready to go, uh, anxious to get back to the project. And uh, like I said earlier, also confident that we can deliver uh, on a new discovery. At Moore Lake adjacent, um, again, just to recap, um, the project is 100% owned. It's the most advanced stage of our assets. Uh, it's had the most work done on it. There is small high grade deposit there um, and we are working on a resource estimate but in the near term uh, in the next few months uh, as i mentioned we are planning an additional few thousand meters of drilling tied in with the drilling at russell lake we can move the drill rig back and forth relatively easily we are going to be going back in and doing some definition and infill drilling in some of those higher grade zones at the maverick corridor as well as testing some of the regional targets. So that's going to be the focus for us. Uh, that'll provide plenty of news flow. Uh, and uh, we're expecting uh, results from uh, both uh, Russell and Moore Lake, um, you know, in the, in the coming months and going into the summer months. And it'll be, um, the, again, it'll be a great, the, the, the prospect generator business will be a great complement to us going in and carrying out these drill programs at the two main projects. On just overall covering financing going forward, and obviously, you know, substantial discoveries is going to essentially take care of itself with respect to financing and conventional methods of financing. But as you guys advance these through, and of course, as you know, you don't always hit on the first couple of drill programs or even first couple of holes. Uh, sometimes you do, but for the most part, no. What is your thought on royalties and maybe the intention to sell royalties if market conditions are right? And of course, the deal terms of the royalty are correct. How do you look at that as a potential non-dilutive way to help finance exploration work on core projects or maybe even other projects that you haven't already vended out to partners? Just talk about royalties and maybe how that might fit into how you guys approach this. Yeah, no, look, it's a great question. And, you know, as the uranium market uh, marches higher, royalties, needless to say, become uh, much more valuable. We've created several royalties on a handful of our projects that we've optioned or JV out. So we typically just structure a, you know, a standard 2% NSR with a, uh, providing the, the partner with a buyback option of 1% for 1 million, depends on the project. But yes, that is something we are looking at um, more closely now that we have the ability to do that because we, we do have, you know, of those 24 projects, two of which Russell and Moore were, were focused on the other 22 part of our prospect generator business we've optioned. Uh, and JV'd out nine of those 22. So we've got, call it, you know, a dozen or so other projects that we own 100% of that don't have existing royalties on them uh, that we can option or JV out. One in particular uh, that we're in negotiations on right now uh, for a potential new option partner to come in on is the South Dufferin project, which is uh, a project that we acquired from Denison earlier this year. We have 100% of it. 
Uh, it's in the south central part of the Athabasca Basin. It's drill ready. Uh, there's uranium mineralization in historic drilling. It's on trend with a big high grade deposit uh, owned by Cameco called the Centennial Deposit. Um, you've got Next Gen uh, in the area, you've got Arano in the area, you've got Cameco with the Centennial Deposit. So it's got the right address and it could very well be a company maker for uh, a new partner company uh, coming in to option it. So that's that's one project that we're looking to option or JV out. And getting back to you know the royalties, yeah, look, you can create, we can create royalties on these projects uh, part and parcel with these option agreements that directly bring in cash and stock and, and ensure there's funding at the project. Um, you, you, you can slap on a royalty as well uh, to help retain as much upside in the event that you, you, you do have or the partner has a major uh, discovery and, and succeeds in finding something. So yeah, it's, it's something we are looking uh, more closely at, at kind of in conjunction with our uh, prospect generator business. Um, th 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 this part of the business too, I'll say is um, as the market, as the uranium market heats up, it becomes much more scalable. There's a lot more interest, companies looking to enter the basin build land positions or companies that are already there that have projects looking to expand their existing portfolios. We're one of just a few companies that they would go to uh, to look to deal uh, on with mineral claims and properties in the region. Appreciate you covering that off because that's always something that's going to come into the conversation. Of course, we're going to see probably heightened competition in the royalty space here as well. And obviously the incumbents also are looking for deals, as you well know. I wanted to just get your thoughts on, you know, how you see the company going forward here as, as you guys develop out the various projects and partners come along and the various activities you're doing on both prospector generator model and then conventional exploration. But then also, as I think you and I probably have discussed in the past, Jordan, the Athabasca Basin is probably one of the most densest pieces of land that uh, have not only credible uranium deposits, but also a significant amount of interest in juniors all tightly packed into this area. Just talk about maybe M&A and how M&A might fit into your overall strategy. And, and maybe there is something out there that makes sense where you guys can continue to build land package and build strategic uh, options, I suppose, through M&A activities, because we're obviously seeing that pick up. And of course, uh, we've seen some transactions recently, which I'll get into in a moment. But just talk about how M&A specifically fits for Sky Harbor and, and if that remains to be on the books for the company. Yeah, I mean, look, I can only say so much in, uh, on this topic, but, you know, we are very much looking at all opportunities that would um, provide for an accretive development or situation for shareholders. M&A obviously is is one avenue for that. And, and uh, you know, we are we are in various talks. And I would say um, I'd agree that, you know, next year in particular, I think you'll see uh, continued uh, M&A activity, especially in the Athabasca Basin. We've seen uh, some, some pretty significant consolidation and um, deal flow in the last year and a half. And, um, you know, that, that as, as one of the larger uh, junior uh, companies in the Athabasca Basin with a large land package, diversified asset base, you know, uh, ranging from, again, earlier stage exploration properties, right through to advanced stage exploration assets. We have pounds in the ground. We, we've got a, a team that's um, uh, been operating and looking for uranium in the basin for many decades, focused uranium exploration expertise in the basin. Um, we, we've, I think, have a, a, a very attractive uh, a target uh, for a potential suitor uh, down the road. And, and so, yeah, I mean, look, we're, you know, we're, we're very much open for business um, in that regard. And I think we saw just recently the transaction uh, announced uh, with uh, Atha Latitude 92. And um, I think you'll see more of that, more of that kind of consolidation. It's interesting too, if you look at the valuation and the companies in the Athabasca, because uh, even though, yes, it's, it's, you know, you can say it's crowded. If you look at a claims map, it's it certainly gotten more crowded, nowhere near where it was in 06, 07, but you know, it's, it's, you're seeing it fill out <laughs> with, with new claims and new properties, but you know, there aren't that many companies 
that are a 50 plus million dollar valuation right up to half a billion, right up to the developers, right? So you had last year, as you recall, UEX uh, was acquired by UEC. That was a, let's call it around a $300 million transaction. Um, just earlier this year, uh, you had ISO Energy um, and Consolidated announce uh, a transaction uh, amalgamating those two companies. Um, so, you know, ISO Energy was three to $500 million market cap over the last couple of years. And then just recently with uh, just uh, in, in the last week or so here with, uh, with Atha, Latitude and 92. Now, uh, Latitude, uh, their project base is um, outside of the Athabasca Basin, but uh, Atha and 92, their assets are in the basin. So, um, it's, assuming the transaction completes, if you look at the landscape thereafter in the Athabasca, there's only a couple companies that are in that you know, valuation range, um, call it, you know, 60, 70 million to, to half a billion. It's, it's us, Sky Harbor, F3. Um, and then you've got, you know, you've got various other companies that are in that, call it, you know, 30 to 60, $70 million market cap range. You've got the developers that are above half a billion. So, uh, you know, it's interesting when you see that it, yes, there's, there's there's more companies now operating in the basin, but you don't really have a whole lot of companies that are in that valuation range that could be a could be an attractive valuation for a potential acquiring company. It's good stuff there, and definitely you have M and A heating up here, and this one with Atha Energy, um, Labrador. I mean uh, Altitude. I mean, hold on a sec. Latitude. Latitude. Sorry, <laughs> and <laughs> also ninety-two. <laughs> And also 92 Energy. That one was definitely interesting here. And uh, I think we'll continue to see this as we as we go here and we progress the cycle here. So I think that was pretty much it, Jordan, just as far as overall Sky Harbor update. But was there anything else that you wanted to add for the audience uh, before we take off here, just as far as other things you want to mention? Look, I think we did a nice deep dive on on the company, and um, I'm, I'm always available if anyone wants to reach out and, and talk uh uh, anything specific about Sky Harbor, I, you know, I just finish up by saying we're, uh, we're embarking on what will be our, our most active year um, for, for drilling at our main projects, Russell and more, uh, advancing these projects as well as partner funded uh, programs at various other properties. We are expecting um, to have uh, other new option and JV partners in the coming uh, year. Uh, so look for us to continue building up the prospect generator business. We have from time to time announced new project acquisitions, whether through staking or property deals with other companies. Uh, we, we remain active there. It's relatively inexpensive to stake, albeit a lot of the low lying fruits been plucked. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, there, there's reopenings from time to time and we've, our team's done a good job of getting in there uh, as quickly as they can to um, acquire new claims at relatively uh, low cost. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, can't comment a lot on potential M&A uh, as it would pertain to Sky Harbor, but, you know, I can say, as I said, um, you know, we're looking at all options and uh, I think there will be in the new year, as we're seeing currently, continued uh, M&A uh, and deal flow happening in the Athabasca Basin. It's uh, uh, as really the, the, the best mining, uranium mining development and, and exploration district in the world. Um, you know, there aren't that many public companies that are, that are active in, in Kazakhstan, as we know, right? So it's, you know, Canada, the US, Australia, um, you know, parts of Africa, but, you know, Africa uh, has had some, well, Niger has had some issues recently with the coup. So, you know, you really kind of, this, this highly concentrated production profile globally, I think you know, it's important to remember that, you know, 80% of global uranium mine supply comes from just a handful of jurisdictions globally. Um, and and some of those are not investable. You, you just you're not you know money. Public capital is not flowing into those sector into those jurisdictions. It's you know it's 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 government run, um, and uh, and so yeah, you you basically kind of narrow in on the Athabasca Basin pretty quickly um, yeah. as far as you know investors are concerned. And I think that's you know it's a good 
segue into you know what 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 we are seeing from a, a you know a macro standpoint. I mean, I know you've had guests on uh, previously that have done a good job um, providing commentary on on the market, uh, on the nuclear industry and the uranium mining uh, industry as well. But um, I think it's you know it's important to emphasize um, the Athabasca Basin and its role going forward to, to, to provide that long-term secure supply of nuclear fuel of uranium, it's becoming ever more important um, as, you know, in particular in the last couple of years where, uh, you know, we've seen um, a number of pretty significant major uh, global developments unfold here, uh, you know, in particular, obviously the, the Russia-Ukraine war, which, you know, it's um, had a major impact on a number of commodities, but, uh, you know, uranium in particular, um, it's, you know, it's still playing out. Um, we just saw, uh, well, earlier this year, the subcommittee in the U.S. Uh, approve the import ban um, on Russian uranium. Um, we've just got news here recently that uh, it looks like there's going to be an expedited vote uh, for that in Congress. Um, so, uh, and and actually, interestingly, just just recently, we've also seen one of the larger nuclear lobby groups and advocacy groups uh, get behind this, which was I think unexpected. Um, you know, most utilities over the last several years have been adamantly opposed. Uh, to restricting their ability to to buy uranium from wherever, uh, so it's interesting to see the 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 industry now getting behind this, um, and so that's but you know that's that's going to have a, a a big impact on on the U.S. Uh, nuclear industry. I mean, twenty five percent of the enriched uranium and nuclear fuel last year for uh, consumption in the U.S. came from Russia, right? So where is the U.S. still the largest consumer of uranium globally? fleet of over 90 reactors, where are they going to get their uranium going forward? Well, you've got a breadbasket of uranium in northern Saskatchewan just across the border. So I think it's going to, you know, again, play a much more important role, satisfying the needs of uh, the Western utilities. Just recently as well, we had the groundbreaking news, although it was it was reported on previously, but officially announced at COP28, uh, 22 uh, nations um, basically signing this, this ambitious declaration to triple nuclear capacity uh, between now and, and 2050. Most uh, EU member states, as well as Canada, the US, Japan, South Korea, that is a lofty goal. But look, if, if, uh, if even a part of it is met, <laughs> it's a huge, huge amount of new demand coming online. And that's, you know, that's, that's the exciting thing right now, I think, in this sector and, and, and with this commodity is we're now really starting to see a demand narrative and thesis build and grow. This has, you know, really kind of been the last five or six years about the supply side uh, and, you know, supply chain issues and supply uncertainty, uh, you know, geopolitical issues that, um, as we talked about with Russia, Ukraine and the coup in Niger, uh, geopolitical issues that have strained the supply side. Uh, but but we're, we're now seeing the demand side really kind of come into its own, uh, whether it's just, you know, simple things like um, reactor extensions, new licenses being granted, uh, obviously the build out in places like China, 150 new nuclear power plants planned there over the next 15 years, uh, more nuclear capacity coming on uh, in China in the next 15 years and has come on globally in the last 35 years. The advent of, of small modular reactors, they're building the first one here in Canada, the Darlington plant, uh, and most Western nations that have nuclear fleets, you know, have some program to advance uh, and commercialize uh, and facilitate these these SMRs uh, coming online. So that could be, uh, we expect that to be a, a meaningful new source of uranium demand uh, in coming years uh, and, and really hasn't been forecast, like you don't really see much in the way of forecasts uh, and estimates going forward on, on, on how that will impact the market, how much more demand uh, uh, that's going to bring online, but uh, it's just a you know kind of a confluence of factors right now that's 
that's really um, you know uh, providing these these tailwinds to the sector. Um, you know, nuclear is uh, the only source of baseload emissions-free, reliable, scalable, affordable electricity generation. It's finally being recognized as such um, almost around the world. You've got new nations planning to roll out uh, civilian nuclear programs. And, um, and, and then, you know, this is all in the backdrop of a supply side that shrunk um, quite significantly over the last handful of years. Uh, you know, we're producing 140 to 145 million pounds of primary mine supply annually. Demand is ranging from 190 to 200 million pounds. It's growing at over 4% a year right now. That's up quite a bit from just a few years ago even. Uh, and uh, there's this major structural supply deficit uh, that's formed over the recent uh, years. Now, most of, the, most of that was met with secondary supplies uh, and inventories, underfeeding, um, you know, various other sources of material that basically plug that gap, but that is no longer the case. And hence the reason, as you and I were talking about uh, previously offline, hence the reason you've seen the market tighten up as much as it has. I mean, basically all stages of the fuel cycle from the, the spot U308 market right up through uh, conversion into enrichment, these markets have basically seized up. I mean, the, the conversion and enrichment markets in particular are hitting all-time highs. Um, they're incredibly stressed. They're, they're, they're being squeezed higher. That uh, is a good leading indicator for higher U308 prices. And I think, I mean, we're already starting to see that, but I don't think it's quite been squeezed as much as it, it will be yet. Um, we've seen just in the month of November, the price was up almost nine, the U308 uh, spot price was up almost 9% on the lowest monthly trading volume in 18 months. I mean, what does that show you? That's showing how tight the market is. When it broke through $80 a pound, I think a lot of people are expecting there would be this onslaught of material that came into the market, uh, and we just really haven't seen it. Um, and it's also important to note, you know, the financial entities like Sprott, like Yellowcake, yes, they've been buying more recently, but they are not the reason the price is at 80 plus dollars a pound, right? We saw in previous years, um, you know, in, in particular in 2021 and 2022, um, you know, they, they were a pretty big part of the, the price spikes that we saw, but that is no longer the case. They're just adding to that incremental uh, and, and secondary uh, demand. And so, you know, again, confluence of factors, both on the demand and the supply side uh, that I think will continue to put upward pressure on the price. Um, I, you know, I get asked a lot, um, you know, how, where are we at in, in the cycle timing wise? How does it compare to previous cycles? And, you know, <laughs> it's always a, uh, you know, a, a, a fun exercise to go through, but I, I would, I'd venture to say, you know, as I've said before, we're still in the early days. If you look at where we were in 06, 07, you had uranium spike up to 135, $137 a pound in the spot market from, you know, $60, $70 a pound. Obviously, a, a big part of that kind of blow off top at the end was the, the flooding at Cigar Lake. Um, uh, and then you had the price settle back in, um, you know, prior to uh, the financial crisis. And then, you know, after that, it, it, it you know, jumped right back up to $70, $75 a pound. And then Fukushima happened. But if we look at 06, 07, a couple of key differentiating features, one, you know, $137 a pound, well, that's close to $200 a pound today in inflation adjusted terms. So uh, much, much higher price uh, then, uh, both uh, in nominal and real terms. You also had a huge amount of new production coming online. I don't think this can be overstated. You had Kazakhstan ramping up from zero pounds a year to what they thought initially would be 20, maybe 25 million pounds, but actually on their way to 50 million pounds. So you had over 40% of global primary mine supply, which now is in Kazakhstan, coming out of Kazakhstan, that was ramping up in that decade, right? You had other new production coming online. You had the megatons to mega uh, watts program uh, with Russia and the USA. Uh, and you and you had a uh, cumulative uh, uh, surplus, supply surplus, well over 200 million pounds in the middle of that decade compared to today where the cumulative deficit 
between now and 2030 is north of 450 million pounds. So the market was fundamentally different in 06, 07 than it is today, but in a bearish, for a bearish case, not a bullish case. So, you know, when we look at these two time periods today versus, you know, 06, 07, who knows? It does, does it do what it did in 06, 07? It's tough to say, but I think there's a very strong case to be made that we'll see um, a continued rise in the price. It's a sustained bull market. You're gonna see the new norm, the new equilibrium uranium price, especially given cost inflation at, at uh, development and mining projects over the last several years. That new price is gonna be significantly higher than where it has been uh, over the last uh, decade or so. And then if you look at it from an equity standpoint, an investor standpoint, and we'll just use the basin as an example, these companies were valued much, much, at much, much, much higher valuations in 06, 07 than they are today. You had hundreds, hundreds of publicly listed uranium explore codes, developers uh, back in 06, 07, uh, you know, in that bubble. Uh, you, you, yes, you've had more companies come to market in recent years, but nowhere near where we were in 06, 07. Um, and just bringing it back to Sky Harbor, uh, four of the projects in our portfolio, four of the 24 properties in our uh, project portfolio were in a company, JNR Resources, which was run by our geological team uh, back in the mid 2000s. Well, when the market ran up, the uranium price ran up in the mid 2000s, JNR was trading at a 300 million plus dollar market cap with just primarily those four projects. So we've since reacquired all four of those projects. We've built, we've, we've bolt, bolted on another 20 projects uh, in addition to those four. And uh, yet we're, you know, sub hundred million dollar market cap. So, you know, the re-rate potential as the uranium price moves higher, especially with, as I mentioned earlier, smaller cap names, um, that, that have lagged, you know, larger developers and, and the producers, um, you know, there's a very, very robust and compelling re-rate potential and story there uh, as we, as this bull market matures. Lots and lots of stuff. And you just gave everybody a quick shot of what's happening across the market. And I appreciate that as, as you know, you and I have both been, we've been beating people to death on the macro stuff. And we've also heard the macro stuff so many times over the last, oh boy, how long has it been? Seven years in this sector or more <laughs> at this point for me anyway, or eight years or whatever it's been. And just a couple points. Um, you know, first of all, congratulations for Canada on trying to advance this SMR work because we've seen some failures come out of the U.S., specifically one that had the best lead time as far as NRC approvals in the U.S. Of course, we've seen that fall on its face. And unfortunately, that's sad. And, and some of the things that have come out of there, it's not a very good example for the rest of the industry. But thankfully, we've got some respectable ventures in Canada that are working hard, as well as some other groups internationally that are working very well-respected groups. And I think we'll finally see the SMRs get over the finish line at some point with some deployment by the end of the decade, I would hope. And then just with respect to uranium jurisdictions that are actually proven, uh, I would suppose at the start of this year, you might've had five decent jurisdictions we could have talked about, but obviously Niger has dropped off a bit. Uh, recently with respect to jurisdictions. So to me, I really only see four jurisdictions that are uh, really investable for the bulk of the capital. There's some fringe jurisdictions, I suppose, that uh, people could take some extra risk on. But uh, sadly, I mean, they haven't even got a, a framework in place for transport and export of uranium, which is obviously some of the biggest hurdles you'll have. With the price of uranium being at 80 here, I think a lot of people would have expected to some degree that there would be a little bit more action in this market in terms of supply response. Sadly, we really just haven't seen much supply response other than, of course, by the major incumbents. But we've also seen consistent delays, lags, failures, and possibly some more failures to come here soon as we start to see the tier of restart companies globally start up, seeing big promises on production profiles and nameplates on these startups. And quite frankly, we're going to see significant problems and some failures coming out of these restarts, because obviously there's a couple out there that have technical issues. There's a couple that have already been uh, hammered pretty well, if you will, or high graded substantially in the last cycle. So we're going to see some issues with some of these restart tier companies. And then we haven't even started to get to the greenfield folks. And so I think even at 
$80 uranium, the response has been very muted, very lethargic. And, you know, again, we need sustainable prices for all these things to happen, bank financings underpinned by contracts and all the other parts that come to that piece. And so, as you said, when you started to talk about escalations in price, this is something that we're going to see a very, very uh, substantial supply response at some point. But then also in the meantime, I think we're going to see a price point that's going to be substantially higher from here. And I would not have said that three years ago, but I do see now because nothing has happened at $80 uranium yet, that we'll see some notable moves yet to come, Jordan. And as you and I both agree, I think we still are on the half of the inning side that is still early. So we'll see how that goes here. Just one more time, just to highlight off Sky Harbor as we wrap up here, appreciate the time. For potential investors who are listening in, the company has a market capitalization of about 94 million Canadian dollars. Why should Sky Harbor Resources be considered within the institutional family office and retail investors portfolio? One, we have a very unique hybrid model with focused uh, exploration uh, and discovery potential at our two main projects at Russell and Moore Lake. And these are projects that are advanced stage exploration assets. We're not going in there working through moose pasture. These projects have high-grade uranium. Uh, they they've have, have all the right ingredients uh, for uh, additional high-grade uranium to be discovered. Uh, they're, they, they're the right address just south of the MacArthur River mine, uh, at Russell Lake adjacent to Wheeler and, and just north uh, northeast of Key Lake. Um, most importantly, catalyst-rich upcoming six months with those two projects, the drilling that we're carrying out uh, and other news flow that'll be generated from those properties coupled with all of the news flow and potential catalysts coming from the partner companies. We've got uh, option agreements um, that uh, we've signed with eight different partner companies that total to over uh, potentially upwards of 85 million in combined project consideration. That's exploration funding, cash and share payments. Assuming that these companies complete their earnings, we're working on new bringing in new partner companies at some of our other 100% owned projects that we have not yet optioned out. Uh, we're in a, a, a unique position and our shareholders are in a unique position uh, getting exposure to multiple programs without the equity dilution um, that is um, required to fund uh, this multitude of programs. Uh, we have partners paying for a good chunk of that. Uh, so like I said earlier, I, I'd say you know we provide a one-stop shop for high-grade uranium exploration and discovery potential in the Athabasca Basin across a diversified asset base. We have strategic partners uh, in Arano, Denison, and more recently, Rio Tinto. Uh, and uh, as a smaller cap uranium advanced exploration co, uh, we offer more torque and leverage to rising uranium prices as we see this market march higher. Jordan, thank you for that. And uh, one other thing, just best way for folks to reach out to the company. Yeah, the best way is just to go to our website, skyharborltd.com. All of our contact info's on there. We have an investor relations manager, Nick, who you can reach out to. I have my contact info uh, on there as well. So if, if you have any other questions, just feel free to reach out to us directly. Always good to catch up. Uh, keep up the work there. And I look forward to chatting again soon and certainly in 2024. Thank you. Thank you very much, and we'll catch up soon.